And welcome back to the Backlog Podcast. That podcast where we do things and say if you should do them too. Right? Is that what we do? I I think so. What the fuck are you even talking about? I don't know. I'm a little I'm a little bit distracted because you, you can't have a little bit of poopy in Zach's bathroom. Yeah. But I cleaned it up. Oh, did she poop on the ground? Just a teeny... I think she, she like, dropped a teeny poop on the ground. She farted too hard. And then put the rest of it in the litter box. That happens Either way, me. I stepped in it, and I almost blew up. <laughs> that, that's okay. Sometimes I poop a little too hard, and it, a little poopy comes out. Uh-huh. Zero out of ten, don't recommend doing <laughs> Mm-hmm. So, welcome back. Uh, you're here with your boys. The ASMR legend, Turner. Hey, what's up? Alright, well, that bit's out the window. Oh, sorry, sorry. Hey, what's up? Uh, the ASMR muckbanger himself, Zach. Environmental ASMR, or or ASMR, or that was me getting into a fight with my little brother. Nice. That's the ASMR for you. Do you feel like you got into a fight with your sibling? Because that was my goal. I feel like I'm about to get into a fight with you over spiking the mic. Let's go. I think I could do my repeat of the clapping. Yeah, so I had to... I, I actually talked to our editor while he was editing that bit. And he was like, I fucking hate... I hate it when you guys do this shit. And I said, well, I'm going to tell them you hate it so that they'll keep doing it. Honestly, that's the... The best way to keep people doing bad behaviors is for them to be like, guys, I don't like it whenever you do this. And they're like, that's too bad. I'm going to keep doing it. See, now that you said it, yeah. That's that's the problem with our criminal justice system. If we just said, just keep doing it, they'd be like, well, I don't want to do it no more. Now it's legal and I don't like it. Mm-hmm. I'm too cool for that Alright, well, Zach, what do you got? What do you what 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 you got going on this 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 episode? Okay, so I got two things to talk about this week. Uh, first, I want to talk about is uh, a little dilly that came out not horribly long ago uh, called uh, Doki Doki Literature Club. It was a few years back, right? Twenty seventeen. Yeah, twenty seventeen sounds about right. Three years ago, that's yeah. It was it was around that time. Yeah, so. Uh, for those of you that don't know, uh, Doki Doki Literature Club is a, sh- a short little visual novel that got released on Steam and kind of took a lot. Like, what community would you say like that kind of kind of took by storm? It kind of created its own community. Like, it, 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 it's it, a, very, a very very weird. I think it really picked up steam with like the visual novel dating. People. Well, like, it, it's weird, because apparently people who were big into Undertale also latched onto it, because of, like, the meta-narrative that, it's, that it sort of has. 
Um, I don't know how much we should discuss it. Because I feel as though Doki Doki Literature Club is best experienced. Like, don't, don't reveal anything. Yeah, yeah, if you don't know, it's just, better that way. Just yeah. say the score. Just. <laughs> I'll at least just cover like the basic cutesy synopsis. Yeah. So you are a uh, unnamed protagonist uh, that you name, and you go to high school with uh, y- your childhood friend named Sayori, who says, "Hey, you should come to my club one day." And who would have guessed it? It is a literature club uh, with Sayori's the vice president, Monica is the president, who is your peppy, kind of hinting at like. Hey, maybe you should hang out with me, eh, eh, type. Uh, then you have Natsuki, Natsuki, who's your lolly sundere, and... I don't like her. Her backstory... Uh, you just don't like mean women. I think I just don't like... I don't like lollies, I think is... And that's like a pretty oh, good thing to not like. I don't like lollies. Yeah. This is a strong anti-lolly yeah. <laughs> organization. I I don't really particularly care for lollies one way or the other. I think there are some good examples. Uh, the one that I think about most is like Kana from Miss Kobayashi's Dragon Maid. Because I do like Kana. Kana. Kana is a kid, though. In Even in Dragon terms, she's a child. Yeah. And it works, then. Um, Beatrice from ReZero is another pretty good example of like a decent lolly. Because she's just she's just a very serious person, and I think it's really funny. Because mm. she's got like a cutesy ass design, which she's actually kind of a frigid bitch. Yeah. Mm. And I I kind of respect that to a certain degree, but like there's the there's the bait lollies as I refer to them. Yeah, like Natsuki that. falls into that category. Naoi from Fire Emblem falls into that category. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, like... And some of them, like, say, like, Nally, for example, I can't get myself to hate Nally. Like, yes, I can understand, like, criticisms for her design. But, like, for me, like, Nally just cracks my ever-living shit up. Mm-hmm. Just because, like, going through supports with her, like, she, she she cracks me up. So I can't get myself to hate Nally. I, I do at least appreciate that apparently one of Nally's, like, support conversations with one of the units is him just being like, I don't want to go to jail. I'm not talking to you. And that's pretty good. I'm saying. I think it's Stahl. Either Stahl or Gregor. It might be Gregor. I want to say it's Gregor. Because Gregor joins in the same chapter as she does. And Gregor's like, no. Gregor's like, I'm not a prison man. I'm saying, you can't go wrong when now he's, when people are, especially like when you're a big cold man like a, oh fuck, what's his name? Long Koo is like, fine, I will finally hang out with you. What do you want to do? She's like, I want to play hide and dragon. What the hell is hide and dragon? I turn to a dragon and chase you a fire. Excuse me? Like, that shit cra- cracked me up. But I don't I don't dislike Nat- Natsuki. Like, her backstory is like, okay, I can... Backstory is interesting enough. And then you have uh, Yuri, who's your quiet, meek... Precious cinnamon roll. Yeah, we're all we're all about that that array here, boys. Oh, I don't like cinnamon rolls. You like? Do you like jelly beans? No, I prefer Swiss rolls. 
Like the shitty little Debbie things? Yes. Yeah, Actually, roll. yeah, Swiss rolls are good. Yeah. But, uh... Cosmic brownies are better. Alright, fair. But, anyway, so... Yeah, I'll give you that. <laughs> Got me. So, you know, you go to the literature club, you make friends, you write a bunch of poems, and it's a good time, and then I'll just say, shit gets weird. Hijinks ensue. Hijinks ensue. Okay. That's Which of these girls will you choose? It it kind of reminds me of Kawada Shoujo to a certain degree. I don't know mm. if you're familiar with Kawada Shoujo at all. I don't think so. It's the one where they all have like physical disabilities. Uh, I think uh, I like, vaguely remember. One of the girls is a burn victim. One of them doesn't have arms. Okay, yeah, yeah. One I of think them's I blind. Vaguely... I think. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of like that, but, like, the, the theme it's going for is, like, mental health instead of, like, physical health. And that's, that, it has, like, a good twist in that regard. Um, and I will say, like, where I've really liked Doki Doki, you know, we talked about deconstructive narratives. Mm, like, it, it is a Like, it is a major deconstruction of just, like, the dating simulator type visual novel experience. And it's... Like, even people who don't particularly like that genre, I've seen actually really enjoy Doki Doki because of just how different it is. It it is very... As someone who doesn't like visual novels and doesn't fuck with visual novels at all, Doki Doki's pretty cool. You know, me, I'm a person... It's kind of 50-50. I found visual novels I really dig, and others I'm like, I just can't get myself into this. But Doki Doki definitely tickled that good visual novel experience for me. And another thing I can appreciate is the fact that there's so many little uh, quirky things, I'll just say quirky things that happen, that there's no guarantee it'll happen to you on your run. There's like a chance it may happen. Or it's like you may see something like, huh, that's weird, that... May only be like maybe like a maybe five percent chance you'll ever see it happen, and it's like all these weird little things that I can appreciate like the touches and details they do for things like that. So like as far as like a backlog score, you know, because I heard you talk about Doki Doki Literature, literature Club. I t- heard Trevor and Dan talk about it because they've recently gone through it, and I heard just so many people talk about it, and I just. I did a good job of keeping myself blind to the experience and I'm, not... I'm kind of shocked you were blind to the experience. Like, I knew things got weird because I knew enough that things mm-hmm. got weird. I just didn't know any details on how it got weird. Yeah, and I think that's a good place to be for it. So, if I had to rate Doki Doki on my Bad Fox 4, I would definitely give it at least an 8 out of 10. Because, you know, for what a lot of it's just that, like pop factor. It's like, oh wow, this kind of came out of nowhere. Even though I knew something was going to happen, when that pop happened, it happens. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I would agree with that score, pretty much. I think Doki Doki's very good. The music's good, too. I The whole soundtrack's on Spotify. Oh, with the whole track, soundtrack on Spotify? Yes. Including the ending song, which is my favorite song. Alright. Me? Me. No. Okay. Uh, so, I talked about it maybe in like the first or second episode about how I had watched Avatar The Last Airbender again for the first time in a while. Still haven't picked it up since we talked about it. You really need to go finish it. You really do, Will. <sighs> it's a phenomenal experience. It, it, 
Like no, it's, it's not the greatest show ever made, but it's um, it's pretty up there. I think I'm just becoming a murderino. You know what a murderino is? No. It's someone who watches like a bunch of like serial killer documentaries or shit like that. <laughs> oh, I have a cousin like that. I think she graduated with like a forensic psych degree. Oh, that's and all funny. she all she uses it for is to just like be kind of fetishistic about criminal minds and. Well, Mental illness. Does she listen to this podcast? No. I haven't seen her since we were like eight. Alright, well you keep talking trash about her. Yeah. Either way, um, so, like I said, I was wa- I watched Avatar The Last Airbender, and I reconnected with a good friend of mine who uh, read all the, like, Avatar comics, and uh, she was like, hey, are you going to watch Korra at some point? And I was like, yeah, I guess I'll maybe find it at some point. And then, like, a few months later, Netflix was like, hey, we're going to put Legend of Korra on Netflix. And then Legend of Korra came out on Netflix, and I had a week of time where I had the house completely to myself. So I was like, fuck it, I'll go watch Korra. So I I messaged a friend of mine that I was watching Korra, and she was like, yo... I'm gonna watch it at the same time as you, and we're gonna we're gonna have like a watch party thing over Discord. And I was like, "Fuck yeah!" And it was pretty fun to just react to another person who had already seen the show and be like, "Yo, that's some hype ass shit." Um, but yeah, I watched all of Korra in like three days, and it's like forty something episodes. Uh, I definitely watched all of season one in. One sitting, season two and two sittings, and season three and one sitting, and season four and one sitting. Um, but uh, that's a good show. It's a very good show. I I think a lot of people kind of lowball it as far as like how good it is. Um, oh, okay, Will's stepping out of the room right now. Um, so Bakora is like. Genuinely very solid. I, I like the, like, flash-forward sort of thing that it does. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, Republic City. It's a big, like, like c- going- city nation with, like, a bunch of, like, earthbenders, airbenders, not airbenders, earthbenders, waterbenders, firebenders, all living in one place. I'm thinking, going from Avatar to Life to Airbender, which is, okay, you get so used to that world that suddenly... You get to season one, Legend of Korra, going to Republic City, and there are fucking cars. Like it, 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 we have traded out like the, the like the like eastern countryside sort of vibe to like Avatar: The Last to, Airbender, to like a weird hybrid of western and eastern. Right? Yeah, some people when when I was talking to them about Korra, they said it was steampunk, but like I super disagree with that assessment. Yeah, I don't. See it's it more like a neo nineteen twenties. Yes. Definitely. It's got like this, this like old timey twenties vibe. Even like the bending has sort of moved away from martial arts and more towards like a boxing slash MMA kind of style, which is really cool to mm-hmm. see. Like the evolution of like just how people conduct themselves in that world. It's it's very interesting. The um, core is also very different from Avatar: The Last Airbender, and I, I feel as though comparing them is it's a different it's a different feel to it, it's not fair to either of them. I think because Avatar is like very story uh, driven, 
Like, it's very plot-driven, where, mm-hmm. like, you have the big goal of, like, Lang needs to master all the elements and defeat the Fire Lord by the end of summer. And, like, all that stuff. Um, whereas Korra is a lot more of, like, a character drama with a lot of world-building. And, like, you see a lot of, like, how the old-style philosophies of The Last Airbender interact with a more modernized world. And especially the fact that you, you, you sort of have a world that is kind of moving away from the Avatar, in a sense. Like, they don't quite need the Avatar the same way they used to. Mm. Um, until they do. Until they do, of course. But it, it's very interesting to see that kind of narrative. But then he vanishes, just like my dad. Uh-huh. Um, but, like, I, I really love all the, like, industrialized... Stuff I love that, like in the power plants, there's a bunch of firebenders who are lightning bending mm. into the. It's weird little details like that into like the city power grid. Mm. It's so cool. Does it make you think of Fire Punch a lot? Kind of, but like in like a more like industrial revolution. Like everybody's getting paid. Everyone's fairly, doing this because way. they want to. They're not. You know. Yeah, we're not in a hole. We're not keeping benders in like a slave pen. We don't, and <laughs> we don't cut their legs. <laughs> Yo, Fire Punch, Fire Punch was so fucked. But so good. So good. But so fucked. But either way, Korra is honestly a fantastic show. You know, and me, like, comparing the two, and Korra is a character... Can I, can I get a sip of that water? My throat's all posh. Yeah, Korra... Well, thank the, you, kind of boy. Korra is a character... In a lot of ways, I can almost appreciate a little bit more than Aang in some aspects. She's bold and brash and, like, kind of hot-headed. But at the, sa- at the same time, she's one of those characters, like, you know, season one, you know, she goes to Republic City and she's, like, that very definition, bold, brash, and she just kind of goes to her own beat. But then she realizes that sometimes that really does not benefit her at all. Mm-hmm. And she realizes, like, even in some instances, even though she's the Avatar and all of this, and she has all these fantastic abilities, that there's still times she feels helpless. And those moments where, like, you see that pride just kind of wither away, and she just feels nothing but this almost ugly self-loathing, and then her just try, trying to get past all that. Like, mm-hmm. It's that character development that really makes me appreciate Korra as a character. I, I think one of my... There's a flashback episode near the end of the show where they're all just kind of talking about stuff, and when Korra explains basically all of, like, each season's plot to... who to I think she's talking to Asami at mm-hmm. the time. I, I found it really weird, and I noted it out to my friend. I was like, Korra undervalues her own achievements to a large degree, and I think that's a very interesting character trait. Um, and, like, also, I, I think, to kind of jump off what you were talking about, the thing about Avatar The Last Airbender is it's this, like, spiritual, worldly kind of, like, kid learning how to be, like, a more down-to-earth kind of normal person, mm-hmm. whereas Korra is the opposite of that. It's mm-hmm. this sort of spoiled, like, sheltered girl learning to be a more spiritual and worldly person. You know, because... When you compare them to, like, that's kind of, like, a big point is, like, Aang in Avatar The Last Airbender is much more in tune to 
what is called the spirit world and that universe. And, like, he's just more in tune to his spiritual side. Whereas Cora, that is always something she struggles with. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it's really interesting that, like, typically for the Avatar, it's, like, historically speaking, it's always been hard for them to master, like, the element that's, like, the opposite of who they were. But then Cora is, like, one of those weird exceptions where she has, like, no no issue. And the one that she shouldn't have an issue with, that being airbending, like, she has a hard time with that. Initially, mm-hmm. I, I think that's a really cool little detail. I really love the Airbender family. Mm-hmm. Um, to see an actual fartbender in action was great. What are you talking about? Naruto Uzumaki was the first fartbender. Uh huh. Either way, uh, Tenzin. Yeah, ten- oh. Tenzin's my boy. I love Tenzin. He's his J.K. Simmons. Does a fucking fantastic job. I expected him at one point to ask Cora for pictures of Spider-Man. It was the best feeling in the world. God, I forget that they're the same people. Yeah. It's so good. I just like... Season 1 of Cora is amazing. I really liked Season 2, despite the fact that a lot of people kind of were like... A lot going of people, into it, a lot of people hate Season 2. And I, I don't understand. I, I don't get it either. I don't get the hate. And then everybody says season three was the absolute best, and I actually think season three might be the weakest, to me at least. But that's just because I didn't really like the villain that mm. much. No, and I get that. Like, season three villains just... I get, and I get a lot of your criticisms since we kind of talked about it earlier. I can get it, but I still had... A blast kind of going through season three because when you get those high moments of season three, those high moments are really good. Oh yeah, no, three. the finale of season three I think is probably the best finale mm-hmm. of of all of them. The season four one is insane and ridiculous, and I love every aspect of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but like the weirdest thing about Korra is I I learned that like while they while the the guys were making it, like Nickelodeon was like, okay, you can make this, but you get one season. And then after season one, they were like, okay, you can have one more season. And then after season two, they were like, okay, you can have two more seasons. And so, like, you can kind of tell that each story, each season is very Mm self-contained. And you kind of have to look at them as almost different shows to a certain degree. Um, Because, like, each of them was supposed to be, like, the definitive end point. Um, Which I think is pretty interesting. But, uh... You know, like, I I like to look at, like, in... And that's something that's, like, if you're taking Korra into just, like, little bits and bites that, you know, you finish a season and, like I said, it feels like it's some kind of self-contained story. And to me, like, it almost feels like in certain aspects, like, uh... Have you ever read any of the Witcher novels? Yes. Yeah, it's like how, like, especially, like, the very first book is, like, these self-contained little accounts, and to me, that's kind of how almost horror feels. Like individually, when you look at all the seasons, that makes up this whole big whole of the Legend of Korra. Mm-hmm. Those Witcher books are really good, and they, I need to read more of them. They are really good. Um, I like how they're basically just big collections of short stories. Um, but that's just overall some good shit. Mm. So, what's the score you give in Legend of Korra? I will give it. A 7.5 out of 10. Which I think is very fair. 
a respectable. It's it's really film. good, and I think that it's it's really great to watch, especially if you've just watched the last Airbender. Um, but if you've never seen Korra, also go watch it. It's great. It it feels different and modernized, and that's pretty cool. I think that's like the strongest aspect it has going for itself, besides the world building, which is great. Okay, so since we are kind of on the topic of Last Airbender, Core, all that, what are your opinion on the Avatar Kiyoshi memes? I love that Kiyoshi's a crazy murderer. Yeah, I... Oh, I would watch a show about Avatar Kiyoshi. Yes, I would. Speaking of Avatar, do you see where the original creators left the uh, Netflix live-action project? Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm not difference. touching that thing. It's going to be as bad as M. Night Shyamalan. I don't think it'll be that bad. Oh, dear God. That that takes an obscene amount of effort to be that bad. No, you know what was a horrific memory I can never scrub away from my mind? Did you see it in theaters? No. Already... Oh, I did. It was for a friend's birthday. Oh, boy! Yeah. That now, was a bad I, movie. No, I knew... How bad that movie was. I watched it like one time. And I was like, okay, this is bad. I don't ever want to relive this. And it was in my senior year of high school. And we randomly had a day in my in my AP English class where it's like, well, we're not doing anything today, so I'm just gonna put out a movie. Oh, what movie? The Ed and I Shemlon version of Avatar: The Last Airbender. I'm like, God damn it, no! <laughs> I was just like, can I just go to the library? I've seen this movie before, and I fucking hate it. It's like whenever they played Interstellar at my library in high school. Okay. I fucking hate that movie. I, I love how much you hate Matthew McConaughey. He's a fucking garbage actor. I, I will say, though, I never really saw Interstellar, but I, I heard it was one of the weaker Nolan films. It Particularly looks, because it, like, explains itself too much at it the end. Looks, it looks very nice. Laplat is... You know, Topher Grace is in that, in that film. I don't know who that is. Uh, that Eric, 70 show? Eric Foreman from that 70 show. Ma- main guy who dates Donna, redhead, from that 70 show. Also fun fact. I never watched that 70 show. You never watched that 70 uh, show. I watched was, that 80 show. Fuck off. I did not. <laughs> uh, that 70 show was pretty good until the last season. The last season's very bad. I, I, just know this, I just know that Ashton Kutcher's in it, Mila Kunis is in it. And uh, Red Foreman wants to shove his boot up someone's ass. Uh, it's also got that piece of shit rapist Danny Masterson. Uh, it's got Laura Pepperone in it, who is a fucking Scientologist. So uh, I, I can't get myself to hate Laura, Laura Pepperone. Uh, I, can't, I can't. It's the same thing with... Uh, who plays that bitch in uh, Handmaid's Tale? Is it Elizabeth Moss? I know who you're talking about. Yo, she's you're talking, also- you're talking shit, about, shit about President Bartlett's daughter? She's a fucking Scientologist. Therefore, she deserves... What? She plays in roles where people are abused, yet she participates in a scam religion that also beats the shit out of people and holds them hostage. Yo, that makes me so upset. Yeah. I love her so much in the West Wing. Yeah, it's, you know West Wing's coming back with a, with a special... On HBO Max? Yeah, Wait, gonna, I heard gonna, about that. Is it going to have all the same people? I think so. I think it's going to bring everyone back for it. Except well, for, except for... Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the guy who played Leo. He did. escapes me. He did as fuck. You, you know that Leo, Leo, like his character had a heart attack in the show, and then he died of a heart attack. Yep. 
Fucking depressing. Sad. Oh, and... Oh, fuck. Later seasons of Bad 70 Show. Who was it? Was it Cheech Marine or Leo Chong that? Oh, it's... I can't remember which one of them it was there. It's, it's Chong. Okay. It's Chong. Who's in it? Uh, Alright, so, speaking of the West Wing, time to sidebar into my topic, a political documentary that I watched. It's an hour and a half long. It's called Inequality for All. And it uh, is hosted by Robert Reich, who was the uh, Secretary of Labor during Bill Clinton's first term. And essentially what he uh, talks about in this documentary is uh, the inequality wealth gap in America. And essentially he discusses how to mediate the income inequality gap and... uh, the virtuous and the vicious cycles that uh, we perpetuate. Sorry, my throat is absolutely parched. I'm gonna go get water. Oh, oh okay, I can drink thirsty. Yeah, of your you water. have to stay here to listen to this, Turner. I'm not letting you leave. <laughs> you left to do your own little business earlier. I, I, I did. I did. You're right. Um, but this, it's, it's a, it's a very good documentary just to watch because. Uh, If you are a young person and don't remember living through uh, the 2008 uh, financial collapse through the housing market, or if you're an older person who still doesn't understand the 2008 financial collapse through the housing market, uh, a lot of the issues that have sprung up from or sprung up from that collapse still exist today. And uh, Robert Wright kind of discusses them a lot. Uh, It's it's. It's a political economic documentary, so it, it's kind of boring. But it's it's worth watching if you feel like the economy does not work for you. Like if you don't feel like it's fair, that it's rigged. And just give it a watch. It's pretty cool. There's a lot of historical information with it and a lot of statistical information that backs up a lot of his arguments. Uh, a three out of ten because it's political and economic and it's boring. But Robert Reich is a cool dude. He's like four foot. But if four you were recommending five. this to you, oh, if I was recommending if I was recommending this to me while I was in college, uh, that's a nine out of ten. Okay, it's a it's a solid watch. It's pretty good. Made in two thousand thirteen, so it, it's it's fairly recent. It's, Still, the trends that he talks about are still continuing today. So okay, it's fine. It's fine. Everything's all right. It's okay. All okay. You have three things this week, don't you? Yeah. Just talk about your other one because that was pretty quick. Okay. Uh, the second, I think, only one more. Okay. The one of the other things that I have consumed uh, in the last couple weeks has been the movie Super Dark Times. Have either of you watched this? I've never heard of this, and I've never watched it. Okay, so it's like. horror, 70% some suspense. Uh, The basic outline of the plot of the movie is there are two high school guys who are really good friends and they go and meet up with a couple other of their buddies and they just do teenage boy things. They say shitty awful language to each other because they're teenage boys and they're like well I fucked your fucking mom in the fucking butthole fuck face. It's like well, that's, oh. that's what a teenage boy sounds like. They, they got that right on the head. You know, one small thing I want to talk about. I feel like nobody knows how to write dialogue for teens. 
And did it, you guys ever play Life is Strange? No. I've considered. I, I haven't. So it's it was like this, like, it, it was not a Telltale game, but it's done in like that same oh, sort the, of... Oh, the, the David Cage style. No, no, not really. Mm-hmm. A lot closer to like The Walking Dead games. Choose your own adventure? Sort of, yeah. Um, but like all of the teenager dialogue in those games, in, or in that game, is fucking terrible. Kids do not talk like that. Oh, kids in this movie talk just like teenagers. Fucking great. It's 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 pretty entertaining. So these four friends are hanging out at one of their friends' house, and they get into their brother into one of the friends' uh, brother's room, and the brother's got some weed, pre lit fine as a teenager, and a samurai sword. Yeah. And this happens pretty early in the movie, like in the first 20 minutes, so I don't feel bad for spoiling it because it sets up the rest of the film. Uh, in a altercation over the baggie of weed, two of the boys start to fight, and one of them has the samurai sword. Oh my god. And it ends with an accidental death. And hijinks ensue. Like Are we talking like Weekend at Bernie's kind of hijinks? Oh, no. Like, fuck, we killed one of our friends. We have to hide his body in the woods. Oh, okay. So like, of, so, like, some actual depressing hijinks. Instead of, like, thinking about this rationally as adults, they're still teenagers, so they're like, fuck, 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 we gotta cover it up, we gotta cover it up, we can't ever talk about it. And shit gets real bad. Okay, it's it's a good watch. I I would say it's a, a an eight out of ten. It's interesting and honestly a little horrifying. You ever you ever just have one of those friends that's just like a straight cunt of a person? Who I mean I know you, so yes. No, I mean like someone who you just hang around with and they just piss you off. No, I don't hang around with people that make me mad. Ah, uh, this there's a friend like that in, in this movie and it pisses me off because he's so hateable. <laughs> Dude, I, I've never understood hanging out with people that you don't like. Like, my, one of my friends has a friend that she hangs out with and she's like, I fucking hate that bitch but she's so much fun at parties. And I'm like, I don't understand how that's a redeeming quality. Like, if, he, if, she, if all this person does is start drama like 99% of the time... But they're really fun to get drunk with. I'm pretty sure that that's not a good friend. It, it ain't worth it. It depends on how often you get drunk with them. Like not often. No. Not not worth it. If you're a drama starting person, fuck you. That's too much work to deal with. All right. Well, Zach, would you kill? Would you kill your friend for a bag of weed? Nah. Nah. See, me neither. Just wait until it's legalized, bruh. It ain't that big a deal. Or like, I don't know, just share with your friend. Or if your friend says, that's my brother's weed, don't take it. Respect your friend's wishes. Yeah, dude. Don't be a kind. Like, I'm saying, it sounds like some stupid shit I would, that seems like it would probably happen locally. Yeah. It's it's very good. It, so, it's so, it's so, on Netflix. So was that guy's brother a, a weeaboo? No, no, no. Or no. a weeaboo? No, no. He was like, Went to the Marines, had posters of naked women hanging above his bed. He was, and not anime women, 
Sports Illustrated women. Oh, 3D women. 3D women. He was like, he was a Chad, bro. He had a sword. He had weed. He had naked pictures above his bed. Dude, but it was the samurai sword, though, so I'm pretty sure, like, the, the, the Chad Craig plummets. I don't know. Is it, is it any worse than, like, a, a, a Roman gladius? That's more Chad, I think. Look, all I'm saying the is Roman's owning a samurai sword. All I'm saying is owning a samurai sword will ruin your Chad credit score. That's why I'm not a Chad because I have twelve of them. <laughs> There's a criminal afoot. <laughs> Something about just the idea of a Chad credit score. Just fucking. It's real good. All right, Zach. What else you got this week? Okay, so. uh... Last thing I want to talk about, so, uh, you know, I, I've heard about this game, and this is kind of, you know, just like how Doki Doki was, like, you know, I've heard about this, especially, like, felt like, more recently, I just kind of saw things popping up about it, and the premise, just looking at it, like, okay, this, okay, this looks like this could be something, and then I kept hearing how really good it was, so I'm like, okay, I'm gonna give this a shot, so... I played this game called Disco Elysium. Yeah! I fucking love that game. And, you know, Disco Elysium is a very strange example of an RPG that it, it feels in some ways almost experimental, but experiment, like in the best way possible. With I think the, the biggest comparison that people make is like Planescape Torment. Okay, yeah, yeah. I can see that. Like, it's... It's pretty much just dialogue. It's, just, it's, su- it's a super dialogue-heavy RPG. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the whole point. It's supposed to be dialogue and kind of... And there's no combat. Yeah, there's no combat at all. Like, in what sequences where there's action is all based on chance, pretty much. How that, how that goes. Mm-hmm. So, you are this... Initially unnamed detective... You wake up after uh, going on a bender, like a real bad bender. A bender so bad that you lost all of your memories, including the history of the world you live in, who you are, and your own name. You can speak and you can and you can read, but really, that's about all that's you the got going of your knowledge. <laughs> and then you're just trying to piece together all this while uh, you're still. You're still a detective. Uh, you went to this place <laughs> to investigate a murder, but as you went to town, which was like three or four days after that murder happened, uh, you went on this drinking bender, and then an additional three days passed, so that body's been there for like a whole week, and people aren't doing anything about it. There's kids in the backyard throwing rocks at the body. Yes! I love those children. And by love, I mean fucking hate those kids. So... You know, you start kind of like, like literally, it starts off with you in your damn on, in your damn underwear, and you're having to find your random assorted things of clothing in this shitty motel room that you're staying at. Let's not forget that you could you have to get your tie down from a ceiling fan, and you can potentially kill yourself just from doing that. It's really great. I I love that there's uh, physical health in the game and mental health, and if you run out of mental health, you just go and live under a bridge. Honestly, that's where I'm at with my life right now. Right? Mentally, I'm there. I can I can understand with being a bridge troll. Um, Fucking all people up at but a knife. I think my favorite thing about that game, though, is that your stats talk to you. 
Yeah, so, you know, you have all these assorted, assorted, I call, I'll call them skills, that kind of are based on certain different aspects of who you are as a person, and some of them you can kind of specialize more into than others, like, uh, personally, like, the skill, like, I was like, okay, this is gonna be my skill, was a, a skill called Visual Calculus, where pretty much, that is your detective brain working to kind of piece together things, kind of see all these pieces of a puzzle, like, from a forensic standpoint, so you can, like, look at something that's kind of, like, off, like, okay, I know something happened here, and then you have your Visual Calculus skill just kind of talk to you in your head, and then you kind of, it's like, Oh, okay, what am I seeing here? Visual calculus talk to you. Okay, but but what what is this? Visual calculus talks back to you, and then it's just imagine that, but with uh, what is it? Uh, thirty, I think thirty altogether, like thirty different skills. I think it's so it's four skills, and then or it's like four general attributes. Wait, I thought it was five. It's intelligence, psyche, physical, and. Um, Coordination. Okay, maybe it is just four. And it's I think there's four six, and, and I like think seven. Six, six or seven. It's, it's six. So, okay, so 24 different skills. Imagine that, but each of these different skills have their own kind of like unique little voice that'll kind of banter with you as you're kind of doing these little checks. And they range from things like uh, physical instrument, which is your ability to be strong, to electrochemistry, which is your relationship with drugs and your relationship with people who use drugs. To even the weirdest ones, like Esprit de Corps, which is your relation to being a cop, and the way that you detect all things cop, and Shivers, which is, like, your relation to the city. Like, you, you can feel the beat, the heartbeat of the city through Shivers. And, like, it, the funniest thing about those stats to me is if they're low... You, like, never hear from them at all in dialogue. Mm. But if they're high, they never shut the fuck up. Like, Encyclopedia will give you the most useless bullshit information. I love Encyclopedia to fucking death. Because, you know, especially my first time playing through the game, I haven't had my Encyclopedia skill up pretty high. And, you know, that's one of the big things where Disco Elysium absolutely shines, is the world you're in is... Absolutely fascinating. It's like a weird dystopian, but not dystopian. It, it feels like it, it would be a dystopia if you were looking through the eyes of any other character. Mm-hmm. But because you're a cop, it's not. It just seems like another day at the office, pretty much. Mm-hmm. In this like weird French sort of place. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and... You know, and with this encyclopedia, like, as we were saying, it, it, it'll chime in all the time. It gives you all these, like, little tidbits. Like, if you're having a conversation with someone, and they bring up, like, an idea, a place, or a person, or something like that, then the encyclopedia will just chime in in your mind. It's like, oh, by the way, uh, it give you, like, a whole rundown on this. And a lot of it, like that, it is, like, the stupid, piddly shit that really doesn't matter. But it's, like, it's interesting to look at, look at and read. It's like, oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Where someone will be like, someone will say like, I don't know, the Blitz, and then like oh, you oh. hear that thing, and then Encyclopedia goes, the Blitz was blah 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 blah. blah. Thank you, Encyclopedia. Yeah, and like it, there's like I think the Psych ones are my favorite. Mm-hmm. Like Esprit de Corps is really cool. Um, suggestion is pretty good. Oh, you know what I actually bombed on Inland Empire though. 
No, that's I, my favorite. I have like absolutely like no authority. Like my authority skills like jack shit. Dude, authority is the funniest one because authority yells at you if you like do weird stuff. Authority will be like, you need to bust, you need to bust heads. You are the law. Sometimes it talks through you and says, I am the law. <laughs> so good. I can literally... A game where literally the first thing you're having to do is... Like I said, picking up your assorted clothes in this trash motel room that you've been yeah. drunk as shit after three you days. read the flavor text on your pants and it says that they are covered in piss and cum. And literally, you just plop those bad boys on and that's your outfit. It's so fucking stupid. And then... Another th- aspect that the game shines is, like, you know, the story, this whole murder mystery that you're, like, piecing together and kind of learning, like, it's a really good murder mystery. I really like it. But where I feel like I feel like shines more is, this is definitely a game where the characters, even these weird little just minor characters, are just ab- an absolute joy just to talk to and just kind of learn more about and just kind of learn more about the world you're in as you're talking to these characters. I really liked talking to the uh, the lady who had her boat. Oh, yeah, the She's negotiator. Like a, yeah, the negotiator lady. The dude on the balcony was call, cool. Call me Manana. Yeah. Um, oh, you can't go wrong with Kuno. Kuno don't care. He doesn't. Uh, I, I love that. Yeah. Like when <laughs> you, you try to get a read on Kuno... And it's like, this child is very clearly on drugs. Would you like to punch the child? Yeah, I'd punch a kid. You can... would, would you like to ask the child for what for the drugs? Because you want to take them. So good. Like, literally, imagine this ugly, hobgoblin-looking little shit that's high on drugs throwing rocks at this dead body that has been hanging there for a week. Meanwhile, his, like, sister thinks she's, like, a Native American who is, like, hiding behind... Offense. Offense, and when you go and talk to the kid, she yells at the kid to punch you in the dick because you're gonna molest the kid. And the and kid, then, the, and you can just punch the kid. As he's yelling at you and threatening, Kuno's gonna make you your, gonna make, make you my prison gimp! That's <laughs> so good. Kuno don't care! It's so what, good. What is this game available on? It's on, uh, it's on Steam. But uh, the creators have confirmed at this point that there are going to be ports to console, all consoles, Switch, Xbox One, and PS4. That's great. And I am happy that this is a game I feel like many people should enjoy because it is such a refreshing RPG. Like, you know, like a lot of RPGs, like they feel almost tedious, at times tedious to get through because, you know, that's the point of RPGs. They're supposed to be longer games that, you know, they take time to get through. Disco Elysium, again, is one of those games, but it feels so refreshing to get to play through. Because, it, it, again, it is such a unique take on the RPG genre, especially for a modern-day RPG. I think the other thing about it is that it, it technically qualifies as outsider art. Because the guy who wrote it is a novelist. Oh, okay. He's, okay. An, he's an Estonian novelist. Um... So, like, that's why the game is so verbose. Like, I was reading the game out loud to some friends of mine when I started playing it, and my voice got hoarse after, like, two hours. Because there's so there's much reading in that game. so much dialogue. Like, if, if anyone who's listening to this was going to, like, do this game on a Twitch stream, 
bring water and throat lozenges because holy shit, you're gonna tire yourself out if you try to read everything to your chat. All right. So what's the score? Okay, so especially for a game that kind of came out of nowhere for me, like I did not know really what to expect. Aside, it won. From, it won four awards at the Game yeah. Awards for 2019. Yeah. Aside from like, I knew I heard it was good and. It looked interesting. The fact that it just kind of blew me out of the water. I'm like, wow, this is... Like, I'm almost speechless. Like, trying to think of just, like, the best way to praise this. It's so good. Like, I would definitely rate Disco Elysium a 9 out of 10 on the backlog score. I think it's the best RPG that came out last year. Mm. Very easily. I'm just saying, when it gets ported to consoles, if you are a Steam player up... Go ahead and pick this dilly up. It's definitely worth a shot. Mm-hmm. I think it's only 40 bucks on Steam, which it's like a 30-hour game if you, like, and then, take your time And then it. it has so much replayability depending on which of these skill trees you kind of want to specialize in more to make the game feel so different. Yeah, because different voices will talk to you. Yeah. That's, like, the biggest appeal. And there's that. really no way to kind of... It's one, and it's one of those games where it's like, you know, you can't specialize in everything. You have to kind of pick and choose what you're going to specialize in. Yeah, you don't wind up being super OP by the end of the game. No. Like, you maybe have a little bit more health and mental health than when you started. And maybe you can talk your way out of a situation slightly better. Or other things. But you're still a deadbeat alcoholic detective. Yeah, you're, you're still, like, a, an over-the-moon cop. Like, it... it a really good over the moon cop because once you get your stride, you can see why you're in the force for so long. But at the same time, you're. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'll play it whenever it comes to console. Because I think they're talking about like maybe next year is when they're talking about it being released on consoles. There's a couple of like things I want to talk to you about that game because there's like a couple of little things here and there that you can do. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'll talk to you during the break, I think. I don't know. Do we need a break today? We don't, we don't have that many emails. Uh, I at least want to go uh, vape and drink water. That's too bad. Okay. We must uh-huh. suffer. <laughs> no, we can take a break. Yeah, Zach, Zach and I need our, our nicotine. <laughs> Alright. Uh, what do you got next, Turner? Um. So, I took it upon myself a while ago to chart a course through an old show called Community. Um, now... Is that got Donald Glover in it? Yes. Before he was Childish Gambino. That's right. Um, it's got, uh, Yvette Nicole Brown in oh. it. I love her. A treasure. She's, like, one of my favorite actors. It's got Joel McHale, um, Allison Brie. Um... Is, am I... I'm thinking... Did you ever watch The Soup? No. Okay. I'm thinking of Arrested Development, where Jason Bateman's in that. Yeah, uh, and it's got Ken Jong in it as well, and Chevy Chase. Ken Jong, famous from the Hangover movies. Yeah, Chevy Chase, famous from Lampoon movies. Land- National Lampoon. Uh, Family Vacation or Christmas Vacation. Christmas Vacation is uh, that's like it a Christmas classic. tradition. Um, it's got a lot of A-listers in, so, in the cast. So community. So, Community is a show created by Dan Harmon, of all people. You might recognize that name as the guy who created Rick and Morty. Um, so, that's cool. This is a 
like a 2009 to like 2015 show. So it's like pre-Rick and Morty. So when does it get bad? So that was the whole point of me watching it. Because I knew that the show... Like, I watched the show as it was airing when I was in fucking middle school and high school. Um, because I was a big fan of Joel McHale. But either way, I watched it back then and I loved it because it was amazing. Um, and it has, like, some of the most creative episodes I've ever seen in television. Um, it's a really good live-action comedy show that has... In my opinion, upon second viewing, aged fairly well in a lot of places, aged very poorly in others. A lot of homophobia in there? Uh, not really. There's like, I mean, Chevy Chase is an old kind of homophobic racist asshole, but also like, he's like a a more liberal character even then by those standards. Um, yeah. I don't. I don't really know of a way to put it, but it's like it's like a pre-gay marriage show, right? Because I, I forget you that forget was, that that was gay, gay marriage is like a less than ten years ago kind of thing. Uh, it was five years as of this summer. Yep, it's crazy to me. Um, but the show definitely had a falling off point. It got canceled. Off of wherever it was originally, and then it got picked up NBC. by NBC, and then it got canceled off of NBC and got picked up by Yahoo's streaming service. <laughs> Which Wait, is... Yahoo had a streaming service? Yes, apparently. Alright, that's it, boys. We're switching our email from Gmail to Yahoo Mail. Um, but Community is a weird show with a weird history. And a very, very lovely fandom at the time who basically kept it alive through sheer force of will. And that's a pretty interesting thing, in my opinion. Um, Sadly to fucking say, I think the show peaks around season two. Oh, no. And then the peak is maintained throughout most of season three. Up until about the end of season three. And then season four is when it starts to sort of go downhill, but it's still pretty good. And then season five and season six have maybe six good episodes in like the 26 episodes that they comprise. That's not good. Which is a big shame. But if you wanted a, a, like a pretty decent concrete stopping point for community... Stop at the end of season three. It feels like a pretty definitive ending. Um, but there is an episode in season five where you find out that Chevy Chase's character is dead and they read his will. And that's a really great episode from season five. Probably my favorite episode from season five and season six. Um, and then there's couple other episodes in season five that are pretty good and two episodes in season six that I like and the finale is pretty okay but uh, season three is where the cutoff point is I would say season four if you really just want to watch it go downhill if you like watching something slowly die in front of you before your very eyes then uh, season four is for you 
Oh. You know there are people that say the last two seasons of The West Wing are bad? There are people... I, I, so, as someone who's currently watching season five of The West Wing, I definitely understand the criticism of post-season four, because that's when Aaron Sorkin left the yeah. show. And season five does feel like a significant dip in like episode quality, but the actors stay pretty consistent throughout the whole show They're, as being amazing. Most of the storylines for or the character development stay pretty consistent. Storylines aren't as strong until season eight. But I think I like I thought there were only seven seasons. Yeah, season seven. Whatever. Which <laughs> six and seven I've heard are really good. It's just that five is kinda eh. Yeah. Seven is really cool because it like actually takes you through the political process. Didn't the show also predict Obama? Sorta. Sorta? Okay. Sorta. Like a non white, decently liberal candidate rising into the party. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it kind of predicts that this guy is more liberal than what Obama would have been. Or was, is currently. Yeah. But it's it's pretty interesting. It, it's a great way to consume, like, to, to watch that last season through, like, the eyes of how does a candidate become the candidate. You, uh, it, it, it's very reminiscent of, like, Bill Clinton's campaign because he started out as a uh, relatively unknown person because he's a governor from Arkansas. And then he became the nominee, and it's all about playing the game. Are you guys excited for when Tom Cotton runs for president? <laughs> Hate you. Yeah, I know. Don't say that shit. <laughs> oh god. So I take it you're not excited. You want me to scream? Please no. Alright, so what's your score on community? So seasons one through three are a ten out of ten. Yeah. They're great. That's seasons good. four through six, four out of ten. Yeah. Alright. Sounds good. Fucking rustled your jimmies. No, oh, yeah, yeah, you did what? <laughs> oh my god. I don't like Tommy Cotton. Does anyone? God, enough people like him to fucking keep electing him. I mean, even though he does literally nothing to help this fucking state. I mean, he does run unopposed a lot. Yeah. Which Quote is, unquote unopposed. Yeah. It's great. It's fine. We'll do a separate episode where it's just me alone in a corner of a room ranting about this election. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, I've got one more thing to talk about. Uh-huh. It's a great documentary series called The Keepers. It starts off as a murder investigation of a nun from a Catholic high school in the 1960s. Oh, yeah, you told me about this. And, or in the late 1960s. It's pretty much like two years from the turn of the decade. And it's a cold case. And then 25 years later, students from the school start uh, coming out about sexual assault allegations against one of the priests that worked there. And the entire series is unraveling this complicated mess of this priest who sexually assaulted these girls that went to this uh, all-girls Catholic high school, uh, how the girls came forward to the nun that was at the high school, and pretty much it feel, what it feels and seems like is that this priest who was connected into the shadier side of the community uh, in Baltimore... Um, 
had this nun murdered before she could go forward to higher-ups within the church. And it covers the lawsuit of the women against the priests in the 90s. Um, it covers different theories that they have. Uh, they do uh, interviews with people who were suspects, people who went to high school, at the high school, people who were sexually assaulted, people who were involved within uh, the case against the priests. It is a very thorough documentary series. It is very depressing. Um, I don't really know, <laughs> like how how I'm, how I'm, depressing are we talking here. Well, you're looking at one of the largest entities in the world that has survived for the last, uh, let's say, seventeen hundred years, uh, that has amassed a lot of political and social power, uh, and you are and, and you're looking at the the stories of a few women who were raped and assaulted in their teens trying to fight against it. And you also have a criminal justice system that does not do anything for rape and sexual assault victims outside of a, like, three to five year statute of limitation limit. Yeah, so it's, it's very depressing because it's like all these women who were assaulted whenever they were like teenagers in the 60s and they finally are like starting to notice the things that are wrong with them in their like 40s and their 50s and whenever they're in the 90s and they're trying to unravel all this stuff and it, it it's just it's bleak it's heartbreaking but it's important because it makes you think about everything that's involved in like the criminal justice system whenever it comes to rape and sexual assault. Um, it makes you think about what political power people and organizations are allowed to carry within the community. It brings about a lot of questions of the separation of church and state. What can you do, especially whenever you, one of the churches is one of the most well-known in the world, has the largest infrastructure in the world. And what can you do against it? Uh, so it, I, I give it a, 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 a six out of ten. Uh, be warned, <laughs> like a lot, a lot of trigger warnings for, you know, rape, sexual assault, uh, anything involving like a Catholic priest, uh, murder. I don't know. It's not. It's not. A, it's not a happy series. There is not a. There is no definitive ending. Oof. Oof. On that note, on that note, time for a break. We're back! Yeah, we all sound so enthused to do a podcast together. <laughs> it's almost like we're friends. Yeah, I think we're all just kind of tired today. I don't know about you guys, but I'm just so exhausted. Yeah, I feel like. Yeah. Well, let's liven things up with our. Discussion question. So, yeah, last week we talked about weapons, and we made a promise to talk about power systems. Right? And now we're here to honor that promise. Yeah. Power systems. What do you define a power system as? That's like a tough... I I mean, I can more think of examples 
of like a power system I, rather I, than explaining it. But like basically whatever governs the the quote unquote magic of the world. The laws of combat. Yeah, the laws will. of combat, if you will. Yeah. Like bending in Avatar, magic in Harry Potter, alchemy in Full Metal Alchemist, um, Nen stands, mm. the gum gum fruit, or hockey, or both. Oh, I'll do it. I'll, I'll talk about One Piece in a bit. Okay. They got some good power systems there. So I think the biggest thing to like consider whenever you first bring up power systems are so there's hard power systems and soft power systems. Soft power systems play like a lot more fast and loose with the rules. Uh, some examples of that being Magic from Harry Potter, or uh, or just a general concept. It's more of like a generalized sort of thing, and you, like you find out more specifics as you go. But, like, it's not the most concrete rule system in the world. Uh, bending is also kind of in that category of, like, you don't really know the exact intricacies of what makes someone a more powerful bender than someone else, rather than just experience and just, like, understanding application. Um, and then you have more hard power systems, like Nen from Hunter x Hunter, where the rules are very clearly defined, um somewhat even over-explained, or um, the magic system from Aragon, like that book series. That's a good power system. It, it's very interesting. That it's, um, like, very language-based. And, and that and that you have only a certain amount of magic that you can use in a day, but you can store it into gemstones. Yeah, you can store magic in a bunch of stuff, or, like, you know, like, certain liquids will enhance your magic for the day and then like just the more you use or, magic it's like a muscle in your body or you just take a heart of a dragon crack it open and use it until that bitch is done bleeding yeah like th- there's a lot of ways you can get magic in Aragon that's like what I think makes it such a cool power system is because like you, it's treated as like as you use magic you have more magic to work with over time but you have to be someone that is like a, has been a magic caster for like years like upon years before you are someone who can just like almost freely use it. But even then, there's limitations to it. Mm-hmm. There's also and then like, like the syntax of the language matters. There's also like the biological aspects of the power system in that series because like elves tend to be more in tune with magic. But well, dwarves, that's just because they know more about the language in general. But dwarves, them fuckers don't know anything about magic. But they'll put metal rods in their bones to beat the shit out of people. Yeah, like, you know, people go... And alchemy is another good example because, like, you know, the law of equivalent exchange... That's what makes FMA so good. Mm -hmm. It's because, like, everything has to conform to this law. Um, Even the philosopher... Even the philosopher's stone technically conforms to that law. It's Mm -hmm. just very powerful. It's just got such a high concentration of... Potential. It's just such a big battery that you can do a lot with it, basically. But all batteries do die. Yes. Um, and then, I, I don't even know what to classify stands as. Because I feel like stands are both soft and hard power systems. It's hard. It's a hard power system in defining like a stand's strengths and weaknesses. Like, the, the rankings of the different attributes of a stand... But a matchup can go anyway. Yeah. JoJo's power system is pretty... It's both vague and specific in that the laws of stands are pretty absolute, but there are exceptions. But the exception is usually part of the stands' attributes. Mm -hmm. Um, But that's... JoJo's system is very... 
it's fast and loose it was, because it, it needs to be so that the more, fights can be dynamic. It had more structure whenever it was just Hamon. Yeah, but Hamon even then is a pretty soft power system. Yeah, it's, it's like just, obviously it takes training, but like you just breathe real good. Yeah, you just breathe good. It's kind of like it's kind of like uh, the power system in a uh, Demon Slayer. Yes, you just breathe real good, and then you can do more stuff if you can breathe even better. Yeah, if you breathe good all the time, you can do crazy shit. So always practice breathing. I feel like it would be awful if you had asthma in the Demon Slayer world. You'd just die. You'd just be fucked. Sorry, Trey. (laughs) Yeah, sorry, Trey. Sorry, me. Oof. Um, But, um... No. As far as my favorite power systems go... I really like bending. I think bending's really cool. I like how there are very specific kinds of bending... And that, like, certain things can be very rare in a bender. I, I like how personal it is. Um, I really like the Aragon power system because language... Like, the magic being tied innately to language is pretty neat, I think. And a very interesting concept for someone as young as Paolini to come up with. Yeah. Uh, especially since he wrote Aragon when he was, like, a teenager. Yeah, he's, he wrote the first book when he was, like, 17. He uh, finished. It was younger than that. You're right, because he finished the series whenever he was like 24, 25. Yes. And those books have been around for a while. God, I need, I need to go through Aragon again, because I remember I read the first three books, and then when the fourth book came out, it had been so long since I read them. I was like, you know, I want to read, read through all these, and I that's my They're good. I really like Aragon. The second one, I feel, has a, like it drags a lot, because it's just really long. But I remember the third one. The third one was... The third one is, I think, the best. Yeah. For me, it goes the third one, the first one, the, f- the and then the second and fourth ones are kind of even. So, okay, and no point lost that side question. Does, is Aragon one of those series that has like a good conclusion to it? It depends it's, on it's, who you ask. It sets up a lot of potential for future like side series in that universe. It, yeah, it, it comes off as like the begin. The ending of the the series comes off as the beginning of an of an anthology that doesn't exist. Yeah, essentially. So at least gives Paralini like potential if he wants to go back. Yeah, to that if he game. wanted to come back and write another series, he easily could. And that's the strength of Aragon's ending. The weaker part of it is that it it feels a little too neatly tied up. I feel like there were a lot of MacGuffins. Um. Yeah. The the bit of like going to the Dragon Island and finding like. All that extra stuff. Yeah. It feels a little forced, but it, it feels like that was the only way. I feel as though Paolini sort of wrote him into, wrote himself into a corner by making the bad guy so strong. Yeah. Um, and then finding out why the bad guy was so strong in book three basically made you go, okay, yeah, we're going to need, like, we're going to need a miracle. Um, not quite a deus ex machina, but... Almost. It, it, it borders on it at times. But either way, the, those books are great. They're a good time. Zach, any particular power systems you like? Uh, okay, I'm try- trying to think of which one I kind of want to go over first. Uh, okay, I got one. So, one I absolutely adore is Bioshock 1 and 2 Plasmids. Yo! Plasmids are such a cool concept because literally it is pretty much a, a chemical or 
pretty much like it is a way to modify your own genes. Mm -hmm. So imagine like, okay, I found this chemical agent that is able to affect certain genes. So when you inject it into yourself, you can do something like shooting lightning, shooting out lightning from your hand, fire, making your arm a living hive for bees that you can shoot out, shoot out. And literally it is just, you're just fucking up your own genetic code to acquire more power by essentially finding dirty random needles on the ground. It's like, you know, I want to stick this into my arm to acquire power. I think my don't, favorite... Don't, don't stick dirty needles into your arm. First yes. off, don't um, do that. I think my... I will say, though, my, one of my favorite logs from Bioshock 1 mm. is the guy who made the telekinesis plasmid. Mm -hmm. Talks about how, yeah, you totally could catch bullets with this, but it's not but you, it's not a problem with the plasmid. It's a, it's a problem, it's a problem with, with human reaction time. Speed. Yes. And then at the end of the of the like log, he talks about how you know the problem's human reaction time. And then he go there's a pause and he goes, I think I just got an idea for another plasmid. Wait, Doctor Suchong and like, Suchong. I'm just saying, Bioshock One. Such a lo absolutely lovely game. I absolutely love it to death. And like I said, everything about plasmids and just learning about this world through all these audio logs and all the experiments they did, it it's just interesting. And even to a degree, looks like, you know, with Bioshock, you need a resource called Adam in order to really modify your gene. That is like what kind of plasmids are based off of. And it comes from random ass sea slugs off the ocean floor. Mm -hmm. And... That in order to even get more of this, so you can, so they've been able to make more plasmids, so people had the ability to modify their own DNA even more. They started like this whole system of genetically modifying little girls to become little sisters, so they can harvest Adam from dead bodies because it's like, and then store it within their own bodies and multiply it essentially. You're yeah, telling me this all happened because a dude looked at a slug on the bottom of the floor. And no, was like, so there was the, I gotta lick it. The way plasmids. Or the way that um, the atom, which is what it's called, was found, was that there was a, a, a guy who worked on repairing the leaks uh, outside of the, of the city of Rapture, which lives at the bottom of the ocean. Um, he found this sea slug that he would, I think he would rub it on himself, or he like kept them as pets, and he found that he was aging slower. Because mm -hmm. that's the whole thing with... The atom that they extracted from sea slugs is they found that it had a lot of regenerative effects and it had all these little things like, like I said, people weren't like aging like they were. People were getting healthier. People were getting faster, physically more strong, able to ingest more alcohol and cigarettes and not have like detriments to them. But there's a there's a big drawback to it because atom is very addictive. People keep wanting more atom in their system because being able to modify all these genes and just feeling so absolutely wonderful becomes so addicting and pretty much you become pretty much a literal crack fiend for Adam and you are like get to the point where it's like I will kill anyone for more Adam because it makes me feel that good. Yeah, that's essentially it is the greatest advancement of Rapture but also what caused its downfall. Mm. Also the weird socio socioeconomic and random and weird it's so and I and it's it's the good kind of Anne Rand yes. stuff, like like the stuff that takes Atlas Shrugged and goes, yeah, but what if this was cool? Hey, I like Atlas Shrugged. It's fair, <laughs> but like, and it's like the best aspects of Atlas Shrugged. Mm -hmm. It's it's it, it like God, Bioshock's so good. 
I, I know it would never be something you would play well, because it's a shooter. I, I, I don't shoot good. You can play it on the baby easy mode. And... It's, it's genuinely a, a, a game that has its story and... Uh, like, its story and gameplay intersect in wonderful ways. I'll just say the ending is disappointing. The ending of the... Okay, so I think every final level in every Bioshock game is terrible. Which is really funny to me. Um, I would say the ending for Infinite was like... It kind of had that shock, shock factor. It's like, oh... The like, gameplay part of it, though. Oh, yeah, the gameplay. Shit. Is, yeah. Um, weirdly enough, the one that doesn't have the worst final level is Bioshock 2, which is the one I don't like that much. I like Bioshock 2. I don't like its plot. I like its gameplay, because its gameplay is literally just ones but better. Um, but its plot is ones but worse. There are aspects of 2's plot I do like. That's fair. I, I think just the whole idea of playing the big daddy's like, I'm just trying to find my little sister. That's all I want. Because, you know, looking back on Bioshock 1, you kill you kill big daddy, you get a little sister, you decide what you're going to do with her. And then a lot of times, like later on, you'll just go through areas and you'll just see big daddy just going through, just trying to find a little sister because they feel alone. Because it's like that is what mm-hmm. men were forcibly genetically modified to be. And... Their reason for being is gone. Now they just wander aimlessly because it's, they have nothing else to live it, for. It evokes a very lovely feeling of sadness. Mm-hmm. Okay, but Bioshock's really yeah. good. Mm-hmm. Go play Bioshock or watch a Let's Play of it. Unless you're Will. In Will's case, go watch a Let's Play or go watch a story synopsis because the, the plot's amazing. Okay. Um, but yeah, Will, what are some of your favorite power systems? Honestly... I just have one, one that I can talk about because it is so interconnected, and that is the power systems within One Piece. Mm-hmm. So, very early on in the story, you're introduced to the concept of devil fruits, which are fruits that you can eat that will give you uh, certain powers uh, at the cost of you ne- never being able to swim again. And devil fruits are broken down into three distinct types. Paramecia, Logia, and Zone. Paramecia give you the attributes of an element or uh, an ability to do something. So uh, the best example is the devil fruit that's used by the protagonist, Luffy. uh, The gum gum fruit, which gives him the property of rubber. Uh, The second uh, is Logia, which essentially lets you turn into an element. So Ace's fire powers. Yeah, so Ace's fire fire fruit lets him turns into fire. The third is the zone fruit, which allows you to transform into an animal. And you have your base form, a hybrid form, and the full animal form. What does Buggy have? Buggy has a paramecia called the chop chop fruit, which allows him to not be harmed by blades or bullets because his body can separate like he's being chopped. But if you just punch him square in the fucking face, he takes damage. I think that's really funny because Buggy Buggy feels like a polar opposite to Luffy. Yeah. Because Luffy's weakness is you, if you cut him, that's bad. Yeah, it's pretty But if you blunt good. force him, it's it's fine. Whereas Buggy, if you blunt force him, is bad, but if you cut him, it's 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 fine. It's fine. It's fine. It's a it's a great it's a great way to introduce powers. There are some very limited exceptions. Uh, one of the more recent villains, uh, Charlotte Katakuri, has a paramecia fruit called the Mochi Mochi fruit, which acts like a logia. 
So he is able to kind of transform into Mochi, but it's technically a Paramecia. Because his body also has the properties of Mochi? Yeah, so it's essentially very, it's very similar to the Gum Gum Fruit, where it's stretchy and can do other stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, an exception within... Can you eat him? Yeah, you probably could. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it tastes like mochi. Probably not good mochi because it's person mochi, but... Eh. The same thing exists within um, the Logia, where one of the main villains, Blackbeard, has uh, the devil fruit called the Dark Dark Fruit, which is technically a Logia, but he takes damage from anything. Most Logia users are able to avoid harm unless they're hit by hockey, which I'll get to in a minute. But with the Darkness Fruit, he's able to physically touch Logia users without hockey. So while he takes damage from everything, he can harm those who are virtually uh, unharmable. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, quick little question, because this is, and I'll just, I'm not quite as up to date with One Piece as you are. You're, you're about halfway through. Uh, but... Isn't Blackbeard one of those weird cases? I think he had like a second. Yeah. So and isn't that something most people typically can't? So, so within the world of One Piece, you can only have one Devil Fruit. As of yet, still unexplained, the character Blackbeard has two Devil Fruits. The Dark Dark Fruit, considered the strongest Logia, and the Tremor Tremor Fruit, stolen from his former Captain Whitebeard, that allows you to become a Tremor person. Which is you can just punch the air and cause earthquakes and tsunamis. In a world made entirely about 90% water. Yeah. <laughs> that sound... It is... Is Blackbeard like a huge badass? Uh, he's... Post time skip, he's now one of the four emperors. Okay. Yeah. He... And... It, okay. So, there's also a power system within Devil Fruits themselves. So, one of the later examples is uh, Monette, who has the Snow Snow Fruit. That fruit is technically weaker than uh, uh, Aokiji's uh, Ice Ice Fruit. Because snow is not as cold like the Ice Ice Fruit, but it is not as strong as ice, because it's just snow. Mm -hmm. And this concept was introduced. Spoilers, please avoid for the next 30 seconds. One, two, three... Uh, which is why Ace dies, because while he is a Logia user, one of the other admirable admirals, uh, Akainu, uh, who uses the Magma Magma Fruit, punches through him, because Magma is stronger than fire. And that's what causes Ace to die. Okay. Which now introduces the second aspect <laughs> of the power system in the world of One Piece, which is hockey. And it's broken up into three distinct types, just like Devil Fruits. And that is Observation, Armor, and Conqueror's Hockey. Observation is basically your ability to predict a opponent's moves. And if you develop it enough, you can see into the future for a few seconds. Man, it'd be really like crazy if Zoro had that. Oh, Luffy does now. Wait, what? I thought Luffy had Armor Hockey. And Luffy has all three. <laughs> It's it's not class. It's not like a class exclusive skill. You can learn all three. With well, you Doesn't can learn. Does Usopp have hockey as well? Yes. So you can pretty much learn how to use uh, observation and armor hockey. Conqueror's hockey is something that you're born with, and it's like a one in a million chance. Didn't Gold Roger have Conqueror's hockey? Yeah. 
A lot of people have Converse hockey. Oh. Well, not a lot. There's like 10 people in the entire series that have Converse hockey that have been confirmed to have it. Didn't Ace have it? Yeah. And uh, Shanks has it too, doesn't he? Yeah. It's pretty much big name characters have it. Okay. Does Zoro have it? No. Okay, he good, because he would be too strong. Yeah, he'd be too... But uh, observation hockey just lets you predict people's moves, or, and eventually, if you train it enough, you see into the future, which was one of the uh, obstacles Luffy had to overcome in fighting Katakuri in uh, the Total Land arc. Uh, with armor hockey, you can coat your, your, your body or uh, your weapons in hockey that protects you from harm, and allows you to deal more damage to your opponent. And it also allows you to touch Logia users. And if you train it enough, you can inject that hockey into the opponent and cause massive damage, like internal bleeding. <laughs> because you just hit them with so much force that it ruptures their body. I think the final boss of Metal Gear Rising has that kind of hockey. Oh, it's it's. Did you ever play Metal Gear Rising? Yes. And then nano machines, son. And then most so of the, most boring of the hockey's is conquerors, which is if you have it, you can submit weak-willed people to your will, which essentially leads to them passing out. One of the big feats that has been shown off with this is in the Fishman Island arc, where Luffy is staring down a hundred thousand opponents. Uses Conqueror's Hockey and knocks it down to 50,000. <laughs> Shit. Yeah, that's pretty, it's pretty cool. And and that's uh, that's the basics of the power <laughs> systems within One Piece. Okay, and then I feel like if we talked about Nen, it would go... Nen, Nen, Nen takes too long to explain. Next episode, we'll talk about Nen. I... That's the discussion. We're gonna Nin. we're gonna talk about men. Nen. Just men. Nen's so fucking cool though. It's so cool, but God. It's so I feel like we need to have a video to explain men because the chart makes everything way easier to understand. God it does. Alright, maybe we need to postpone talking about men until a later point. Yeah, we'll talk about men someday. Just just think of a power system. That lets you do pretty much whatever you want. Think of it as you are you have one of six attributes, but you could have any of them, but you're really good at the one you're born with. So. Unless you're the mystery six one, in which case you have a very special ability of being overpowered. Of being OP. Emperor Time is the stupidest shit. I think that's the most ridiculous one. Is that is that when Karapika's got the red eyes, he can use any kind of men. Oh, but it it's got a great drawback to it. I mean, Karapika's whole men setup has amazing drawbacks, but yeah. the drawbacks are what make him strong. For every hour that Karapika's in a, the the Scarlet Eyes, he has to sleep for four hours. Oh, that's why whenever after the uh, uh, the Phantom Troop arc. Whenever he had been in the Scarlet Eyes for, you know, a day and a half, he slept for, <laughs> like, four and a half days. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. By the way, as of yesterday was the day they all would have shown up in New York, in, sorry, York, New City. Yeah. Remember? We'll meet on September 1st in York, New City. Okay. 
we're going to talk about the Hunter Hunter arcs at some point because I feel as though anyone who says that York New is their favorite is is completely valid. It's it's pretty good. It might be a perfect arc. I would say the only arc that I would argue against is Greed Island. I don't like that arc. It's it's got a weird it's, power it's, system to it. I like I like that part of it. That's actually my favorite part of it. Nah, I like I like the later stuff. Whenever they're, I will also say the dodgeball fight in Greed Island is the best fight in Hunter Hunter. Yeah, yeah, it's the best fight. Yeah, it, it is. It just is. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, let's. Yeah. So, any uh, any other power systems y'all wanna wanna talk about? I mean, we can talk about stands, but stands are like it's, stands it's, will so quickly devolve into which ones are your favorites. It's, that, it's the same thing as Nen. Yeah. Well, no, it's not that well, it's as complicated as Nen. It's just that stands are... Stands are so specific that it would just be better to just recommend you just go watch JoJo. Yeah. It, it, I like that it operates the same way as, uh, as Nen is, in that there's not like a hierarchy... To powers, no, you know, J- Jotaro beat up Dio, but he lost to a rat. But that's just because matchups. Yeah, and that's that's what's so cool about. That's what makes JoJo awesome. You're gonna have an OP stand, but lose to a little rat. You could have an OP stand, but be a fucking idiot. I love OP Yasu so much. Zando. I will say there are some instances where there are some stands in JoJo where it's like, okay, I'm sorry, that is straight up bullshit. Like, oh, I'm sorry, there are some instances where it's like Star Platinum. It's like, you know, I get it, that's the point of Star Platinum. Oh, you mean like all the villain stands? All the villains Oh, the are, final villains. All stands. the final villain stands are supposed to be that ridiculous, though. Funny Valentine is the, the craziest of them to me, though. I'm it, saying... Part- uh, the, the analogy for JoJo villains is every JoJo villain is, a, is the button on a remote. Uh, but it's funny Valentine's the menu button. I'm saying, uh, they finally revealed the true villain and Jojolian. Oh, shit. I still have read anything. I need to eight. get, I need to get caught up. And let me tell you, ooh, ooh. Mm. Let me pose this to you. Power systems you don't like. Because I have one. Harry Potter. Harry Potter, that's fair. I don't like the, quirks. Okay. Sometimes I like quirks. Sometimes I don't. That's the weirdest one to me. That, that's the one that's the most up for debate on whether or not I like it. That it it plays too loose with the rules. Probably as you go later, I would imagine. Um, Currently, I want to bash my head against the wall. <laughs> I uh, I heard what happened in the most recent chapter. Yay! I heard what happened to Aizawa. It makes me want to smash my head against the wall. Boop, boop. <laughs> you know, you know, the Yakuza arc, great. Pinnacle of that series. Everything else is dog shit. Feels bad. That series had a lot of potential. Uh I okay, I'm not a big fan of Bleach's power system. It... It, it's it's a numbers game. I, it's it is and it isn't. I I think the ones that really fall into numbers games are DBZ or just Dragon Ball in general. But like Dragon Ball is the least offensive version of it in my opinion. 
because eventually it just it just becomes a, a game of yeah we're all this strong like it doesn't like it it's just about the fight itself rather than like number game mm-hmm. but like people who are hardcore into ZB, into DBZ like power measuring are fucking stupid in my opinion because it doesn't matter and it's never mattered um but uh Seven Deadly Sins has a number system that it reveals, like, at the beginning of Season 2. One Piece kind of has a number system in, with, uh, with bounties. But, That's more soft, though. But it is, it is not reliable at all, because then you end up with people like Buggy, who like a 15 million bounty, who end up as one of the warlords of the sea. Yeah, but like one, but I know that One Piece, like the fandom of One Piece, has like a big problem with power scaling. It there are, the biggest issue is people like trying to compare characters to other characters. Yeah, that's of, like of the, like here here are the uh, the the four emperors' crews. How do they compare to what Luffy's commanders would be in in the yeah. crew? Basically, I, I hear the warlord tier is very debatable. It. It is. Uh, the warlord tier is more so what's your your infamy in the mm-hmm. world, not so much whether you're strong or not. Yeah, like, it could be because you're strong, but it could also just be because you're well known. I would, you know, I would. I when you said power systems, I didn't like. I thought of Lord of the Rings, but Lord of the Rings plays so fast and loose with everything yeah. that it works in mm-hmm. the end. And I'm not privy to the deeper lore of Lord of the Rings, so I can't really comment on it. Um, the Harry Potter one is really bad, though. Why don't Why don't the magicians have a limit? It seems like they do, and they don't. It seems like the it, it's unclear whether or not the wands matter because they do, but they don't. Um, and like, I don't I don't understand the Harry Potter power system at all. It. It doesn't make any sense. Written by a crazy woman. <laughs> yeah, written written by a, a turf. No. Yeah. Yeah. We should at some point discuss whether or not like finding out that a creator was a piece of shit all along retroactively ruins everything they've made. Cause uh, I feel really bad for people who were big fans of Roni Kenshin. Yeah. Right now, I feel so bad for them. So that's how oh, Roni Kenshin. That's how I felt about uh. Kevin Spacey, what a piece of shit, garbage person. It's kind of how I felt about Louis C.K. Louis C.K. Louis C.K. could have bounced back, but he decided to just dig in his heels and become he just, a shitty, shitty person. He just doubled down on it, and that's like not the way you do it. Uh, really, look at Ellen right now. Kind of a piece of garbage. She, I, I don't understand like why that finally broke. Like people have known that shit for years. That she just treats her workers like shit. I guess it's just one of those things of you keep it within the industry. Hmm. Garbage power system. The American Hollywood political system. Ooh, boy. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, unbalanced as fuck. Uh, <laughs> Dude, the world doesn't have, Like, Earth doesn't have a good power system. It does So not. unbalanced. Animals, uh, like, animal tears make no sense. Mm. Tearzoo, great YouTube channel. Tearzoo is, 
one of the best channels on YouTube. Uh-huh. Yeah, right and up there with the Ordinary Sausage. Ordinary Sausage, Badlands Chugs. Oh, fuck. <laughs> I love Badlands You watch uh, Matt Stoney? No. Uh, he just does food challenges. Did you get the Did you get those videos I sent you over mm-hmm. text? Yeah, I've, I've greatly appreciated the the influx of like Pokemon challenges on YouTube. Uh, those are fun. Th- that that small ant guy, like those challenges, he does are the best. I think my favorite. I still think my favorite one was the one I sent you, which is I toss my team every battle and I take the team I just beat. Ugh. He beats Red with Blue's Pokemon. <laughs> The Elite Four is the funniest part of that run, though. Because, like, he beats the first guy, and he takes his Pokemon, and he's like, okay, you want to rise up in the Elite Four? Follow me, I'll show you how it's done. <laughs> it's so good. Because he just trounces the Elite Four as he goes up. Oh. That is the funniest shit. Um, but yeah, power systems... A good power system can really make or break... But I don't think it's necessary for your to for to have like a hard power system in any regard. I think power systems are such a weird thing because like you can play as fast and loose or as like structured as you want with it. It just has to be good. It just has to be able to have like some form of consistency, I think. Consistency is somewhat important, I would say, but more on the hard side of the of the scale. Is it is it important? Yeah. But, like, things like the Force from Star Wars is soft as fuck and interesting if you write it correctly. Um, by the way, everybody, go play Knights of the Old Republic 1 and 2. They're great games. Some of the best Star Wars writing that exists. Alright. Any, any other thoughts on power systems? Uh, Zanuck? Oh, and Naruto's power system sucks. I don't particularly have a problem with Naruto. I like the idea that you now people have different, yeah, it, different I mean, elements of chakra. I think that's interesting. That's pretty cool. I, I like the I like the gates. I like I like Rock Lee and Guy Sensei. Naruto in the beginning had a, a pretty interesting power system. Naruto's problem is power creep. Like, it really is. Like, it, it starts out as, like, these, like, kind of magic dudes, like, stealthing around, throwing knives at each other, and it just ends with just wizards nuking the fuck out of fucking countries. Power creep is just something that is part of a series, I think. Uh, you will just have to go against stronger people, and either you win or you lose. But mm-hmm. it, I feel like it needs to be established early. In a series, because I think that's why like One Piece doesn't have a problem with power creep well, because they establish like what strength is uh, very early in the series. I would agree, um, but like, I mean, you can avoid power creep by having everything be matchup based, like Nen, yeah, or uh, stands, or One Piece, really. Okay, good example of a pretty well defined system and how it works. And pretty much like the matchups in it are pretty much just based on how you use the power and how skilled you are as a fighter. Uh, I'll talk about uh, Dragon Guard 1 and 2. So, in the Dragon Guard series, uh, 
pretty much how that system works is humans can form contracts with pretty essentially any magical creature that exists in that universe. Mm -hmm. But there's a drawback to it. If you make a contract, you and that creature are linked. You'll be able to speak to each other. You'll be able to speak to each other telepathically. You will have increased power, but your lives are connected. So if either one of you die, then you both die. But in exchange for all this power that you get, the human who make the human on the contract end, uh, they lose something. There's no real. It can be anything. So say like the main character for, for, from the first game, Kime. Uh, he loses his ability to speak. So then, essentially, him and Angel is his dragon that he forms contract with. They speak to each other through their mind. Uh, but in order to express Kime's kind of thoughts, Angelus is pretty much his voice. Mm-hmm. And uh, looking like the other characters that end up forming contracts so like if you ever had to deal with them like the few instances where you fight them in Dragon Guard 1 or especially Dragon Guard 2 really all the power that people have it's great power that is capable of completely changing the tide on a battlefield but really just kind of comes down to how you use the power and essentially like who's able to kind of outwit who and just kind of outperform someone in a fight. So really, there's... So even as, as something as... As, like, massive and powerful in scale as, as a golem is... It could potentially be taken down by, say, like, someone like a cleric Leonard with his pet with a pixie. Like, it really just comes down to... Individual, because like say like, uh, the guy who made the pact with the golem, he's just a child. He's like an eleven-year-old child that loses the ability to age. He's not a fighter. He can use his golem to do a lot of work for him, but really, if he gets down to the nitty-gritty and someone else kind of comes up to him and his, pretty much he's done. There's nothing he can do then. So that's why I can appreciate Dragon Guard for kind of like this, this system of. Yeah, everyone's great, everyone's powerful if they form these contracts. You'll lose something out of it, but you're powerful. But, really, when it comes down to nitty-gritty, you could just easily die if you make a fuck up. Mm-hmm. That's definitely interesting. But yeah, let's move on to emails. We're at the emails, and we only have one. I, uh... We forgot to beg and ask our friends for emails. Yeah. So, this week, we only have the email from Lauren for Lauren's Q Corner. Well, she provides the Q's questions. And we provide the A's. Assholes. Because that's what we are. Mm-hmm. So, Lauren's question for us today is, what were some of your childhood delicacies? Do you still eat them? For example, I used to put string cheese in the microwave, and I really thought I was doing something. <laughs> I did the same thing actually so childhood delicacies what y'all what y'all got uh cause I got one I got one that you're gonna hate alright and that a lot of people gave me like even my own family gave me shit for this one hit me uh peanut butter and cheese you still eat that every now and then I do I could makes me think of a simpler time I could understand if it was like 
A sweet cheese. I sometimes do use sweet cheeses. I've also seen you use cheddar. Yeah, because sometimes <laughs> I just want the saltiest motherfucker in my mouth. Do you use smooth or chunky peanut butter? Or whatever's on hand? Uh, it depends. depends. It, it just depends on the mood and what's on hand. I don't really eat chunky peanut butter that much. But if I eat chunky peanut butter, it's usually just straight. <laughs> Spoon it into a bowl. Fair. Zach? Uh, I remember... Of all the shit I could eat growing up when I was little, I'm like, and I thought this is the pinnacle of human cuisine. Ketchup and mustard sandwiches. Oh, fuck, that's what Dude, I was going to say. I, 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 I just eat ketchup sandwiches. Uh, see, I went a step further and added mayonnaise to it. I, as a kid, I despise mayonnaise. I thought mayonnaise... No, uh, the two things I thought was absolutely the most disgusting thing on human existence when I was a child. Mayonnaise and bacon. What? I used to think, I used to oh. think bacon was the food of inbred hillbilly folk. I I mean, which it kind of is. I mean, but but then as I grow up, food. but then as I grow up, I'm like, both these things are delicious. What the fuck was wrong? With okay, me? you know what I tried one time, and people don't believe me until they try it. You get you get some toast, you put some peanut butter on it, and then you put bacon on top of the peanut butter. All right, yeah, that that sounds pretty normal. Yeah. Uh. One of, one of my childhood delicacies was uh, putting ketchup on macaroni and cheese. Ugh. I still do it. I, I, I put want ketchup that, on my eggs as well. I want, I want that cheesy tang. I want that. Yeah, I, I do. I do ketchup, ketchup on cheese eggs. I do ketchup on scrambled eggs. Yes. Because I grew up with that, so yeah, I get that. Mm-hmm. That's some good stuff. Um, I used to think uh, coleslaw was the world's most disgusting food in the world. I still don't like coleslaw. I'm, I'm kind of coming around to it. It's got to be like. Fresh vegetables in a in a good blend for for the coleslaw dressing, but it it just depends. I'm still not 100 percent there. I also don't like uh, fat on any form of meat. It it makes you like me, really. Le- so you, you don't like ribeye steak? I'm I'm a lean kind of guy. Okay. I just it. Uh, fat is flavor. It, I, it, fat can it be depends. flavor if it it's depends. rendered out. That's fine. Marbled fat is good. Though. Yeah, that's fine. I can handle that. But if you just give me a steak or a pork chop that's just got like a big fat thing on the side of it. No, you trim that off of it. Even on ribeye, you trim it get off. Get that shit off. I don't. I don't I, Are you telling me you don't want to just slice that off and just slide it down your gullet? Uh, 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 okay, no. No. It's, 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 the, it's not the flavor. It's the texture. That's why I don't eat like rubbery bacon, I have to have that bacon crisp as it can be. Oh, I, fuck. I, I love, ro- I love uh, me some rubbery uh, bacon. I want, I want to pick up that bacon and it like turn to ash. No, no the, the bacon needs to like have a little bit of rubberiness to it, but you bite into it and it's, it's a still small crunch. crunch. It's just... Yes! Thank you! Zach, you I, understand I want, me. I want that shit to be like potato chips. I don't like... Did you, um, did you ever ignore certain Starbursts when you were a kid? Yeah, the fucking yellow and orange ones. I still avoid yellow and orange. Okay, yeah, okay. yellow is my favorite. Okay, yeah. wait. Blue, actually, purple, no. red. Those what's are the what colors. Do blue. What do you blue? No, no. I'm thinking like of all candies, blue, purples, or reds. Always good go to. Okay, let's let's list our Starburst tier lists. Okay, so for me, it's pink, orange, red, yellow. Uh. Yellow, pink, red, orange. Pink, red, orange, yellow. 
You have like the most vanilla one. I feel like everybody has that. Has one. Has the yeah. same tier list as you. Yeah, because orange and yellow are disgusting. Did you know that you can buy a two pound pack of uh, just the pink Starburst on Amazon? Sweet. I don't know well, why. I do the same for the yellow. It's Ooh. for like. They don't actually sell the yellows. Because I know people don't like fucking yellow. They sell the reds, but they're more expensive than the pinks for That's, some reason. You ever remember. The it's like heart- a two-pound bag. It's like 12 bucks. You ever remember the heartbreak of, like, you know, getting the little two-pack Starburst things from, like, a birthday party or from and they're a both yellow? And you open it, and it's your fucking least favorite ones. Double yellow. Dude, I, I got a lot of double pinks as a child, and it's, like, the reason why I believe that I'm a lucky person. I don't know. Maybe your luck is going to run out because you use it all up on getting double pink Starburst. Yeah, you're probably right. Um, what else did I really like as a child? Uh, I still like, uh, the little fruit smile gummy snacks. I feel like those are universally loved. I don't, I don't like the original. Where it's the purple, orange, yellow, and something else. I don't like that flavor set. However, they're a tropical fruit blend where it's got the blue, the uh, kind of pinkish, the red, and the green. Acceptable. Great. Uh, Guzzle that shit. Growing up, I fucking hated peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. I, I just ate peanut butter sandwiches. I eat that like four times a week for dessert. Peanut butter and jelly? Yeah. For a dessert? Yeah. Makes sense. Sometimes I'll, I'll like get a Greek yogurt and like dip it so it's kind of like sweet and tangy. Mm-hmm. Good stuff. Okay. I pretty much still eat the same Subway sandwich I ate as a child. I just put more vegetables on it as I've grown up. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's got it's got I've got six five sauces on there though. Oil, oil, vinegar, ranch, mustard, mayo. They won't let you put that many on on the app though. It makes me sad. Mm-hmm. How the fuck is your bread not sopping wet? Oh, it is, and that's what's so great. That's why you get it toasted. Okay. That way, it forms a little bit of a. Can I can I go get up on a on a pedestal for a second? I, if you like your sandwiches dry, fuck you. You're you're a sociopath. Also, just get one vegetable on your sandwich. Just one. Just even some spinach leaves. Just oh ooh, you know. You know, I went to Subway the other day. You know what? I saw someone get them all. Ooh. Ooh. Literally. Meatball marinara. Cheese. Oil and vinegar and ranch. Oh, I'd I, I eat that. Oh, no. I'd eat that, too. Yeah, that sounds, that sounds pretty good. Do you just have an aversion to ranch? Or is it the oil and vinegar? It's the combination of all three. Nah, uh, I... I, I most of the like sauces I make, I like them to be kind of creamy and a little a little vinegary. So that's 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 in my field. Uh, but it's the fact. But it's the fact that it's like. But why? I uh, see. I'm more concerned that he didn't put a vegetable on there. Just put some black. Okay. Just put some black olives on. Okay, it. on a meatball sub, it's different. Because it, it's meant agree. to be a sandwich with. Yeah, it's just you're supposed to be enjoying the bread, the sauce, the meat. The yeah, cheese. but you can you can just put black olives on there, and that's Bitch, a little, no. That's a little. That's Fuck a little. Off. A little. A Fuck little bit off of, with your hypocrisy of the meatball stuff. A little bit of something to eat. Zach, like you're you're about to you're about to start gesturing with your hands, and you're about to go full Italian mode. I can feel it. 
Like, I'm ready to... You're, you're radiating. You're radiating this kind of energy right now. Okay, so what I can't stand is whenever people get just, like, a meat, cheese, and bacon sandwich. I don't think you particularly... I feel really called out right now. But well, no, I put condiments on Yeah, my yeah, no, I'm talking no vegetables, no sauces. Meat, cheese, bacon. Oh, God. And that's it. Same thing with a fucking hamburger. Meat... And cheese only, please. Garbage. It, it, you put are, some fucking ketchup on that. You, at least. You are not using the full potential of a hamburger if you just eat meat and cheese. I mean, it's basic. It's it's basic, and that's that's what bothers me. It's Sometimes like, that's what, if someone wants to be the most basic-ass bitch when it comes to their sandwiches, let them. Okay, I take it back. The most basic you can be is just the hamburger. Sometimes, like, when my family did cookouts, and it's like, you know, I ate a burger on a bum, but it's like, you know, I don't want bread, I just want meat. I'll just eat, like... Okay, I can, I have more respect if you just eat the, the hamburger patty by itself than if you have the audacity to put it on a bun with nothing else. Because then you're, then you're just eating meat, and that's better than, <laughs> I don't know, this has gone off in a weird tangent. I'm just saying, I remember as a kid, I I, I was kind of pissy at Subway because it wouldn't just let me get bread and cheese because I would have just eaten that and been perfectly happy. Yeah, that's just, that's just the 12-inch the, the grilled cheese. No, I, I don't toast my sandwiches at Subway. I like okay. sandwiches. We need <laughs> to talk You don't toast your sandwich? No. It doesn't cost anything. I like cold sandwiches. That's the point of a sandwich to me. Unless I am getting specifically something like a, pati- a panini, a burger, or something like that that's meant to be hot. Okay, okay. Sandwiches are sandwiches are not meant to be cold. They can be whatever they want. That's why they're sandwiches. See, Zach. This, this a is, sandwich is I, the ultimate freedom food. This, this is right off. Because I grew up in a time when Subway didn't even have the fucking option to toast your goddamn sandwiches. Where the fuck did you live? It has always been a thing. <laughs> From what age do you remember? Uh, since I was like three. Since I was like three, dude. Maybe it's just a thing that I just don't ever remember growing up as a kid in the Chicagoland area. I do not remember ever, and I'd be ever seeing a toaster oven in a subway. Okay, hold on. Zach, uh, Turner's doing the research. Uh, I'm just going to say this. Fuck Jimmy John's. I would like them more if they would toast their sandwich. Bitch, no. Uh, Jimmy, Jimmy John's, if you're Hey, sometimes it's nice to have a cold cut. Look, if I'm having a cold cut, I'm making it at home. I ain't paying money for a cold sandwich. You you even said you're coming around the I, I thought I could do it. I thought I could do it. The, the, the stuff they put on the sandwich is fine. Okay. It's not good. Okay. 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 Subway did not start toasting sandwiches until 2005. Bitch! Yes! Okay. Alright, there we go, Zach. Okay, I was nine. Fuck Zach off. was also nine. We're the I, same age, right? Uh, 96? Yes. We're the same age. Yeah, I think you're Zach and I are really older. Yeah. 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 I'm, I'm older than you by a few months. Okay. Uh, am I the youngest on this fucking podcast? Yes, you yes, are. You I want out. I'm, I'm done. I'm done. That's a wrap, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to be the youngest. I'm the baby. Yeah, Will's... Wait. Will's, wait. 
that means I can go tell mom on you guys and you'll get in trouble and I won't because I'm the baby. Who's mom in this scenario? The bird. The bird? The bird. Sammy. <laughs> right. Shout out to shout out to our bird friend, Sammy. Hi, Sammy. When she went up to give her valedictorian speech at Lion, all I heard was, Oh. I almost yelled out, Caw, during graduation. I want you to know, I, I came really close to doing it. Man. I gotta, I gotta. But Trey beat me to it by, because her name's Sammy Sharp, and Trey goes, Sammy is sharp! That was the funniest thing that happened at graduation. The best. No, the funniest thing that happened at graduation was Zach falling out into the floor because he was so tired from work. Also, also Trey, Trey. <laughs> I took, I took a, I took a picture with Trey, and I was holding my degree, and then Trey grabbed my degree out of my hands and fucking bolted. Wait, so I- Zach, you were sitting up in the bleachers with Lauren. Watching graduation, and you had gotten off work like not. No, I know I got off work when I yeah. went to graduation. You were so tired, you like fell out into the bleach. I, I think the the other funny bit of graduation <laughs> was waking up, going down to your apartment, and seeing Lauren and being like, "Hey, is well ready to go?" And I hear you going, <laughs> "Yeah, Turner, I'm kind of ready." <laughs> Dude, the Capriccio's got me. Them Capricios, man. They sneak up on you. They sneak up on you. I drink one of those and I'm good. I drink like maybe a bottle and a half of that stuff. Jesus. The night before graduation. Oof. I was, my tummy was upset. You know, in all my times and all my multiple drunks that you've seen me, I've never thrown up. That's true. At all, ever. That's true. I, I only vomit. The morning after, because I just want the sin. No, out. even the morning after, I never. Whoa! I vomit to get the sin out. I feel so much better after I vomit. Now that's where coffee and cigarettes <laughs> kind of fill that void. Nah, I'm like, I gotta, get, I gotta get this demon out of me. <laughs> no, at most I've gotten that little bit of like, oh, I kind of feel stomach acid coming up, but like I've never actually like vomited. Uh, all right, well. <coughs> on that sobering note, my my throat fucking hurts after doing those vomit sounds. Alright. Well, I guess that means that's a rap, Mike. That's a rap, Mike. Zach, you gotta say it. That's a rap, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>